More than 60 million babies have died from abortion since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973. And who would have thought almost 50 years later in 2022, we would finally be celebrating the end of Roe and mandated abortion on demand. What happens now? Plus, we're going to talk about another landmark victory for parents' power to choose a Christian education for their kids. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our legal counsel, Josh Hetzler. Well, over the last week, we have had huge news coming out of the Supreme Court. And I'm so glad we have with us today our legal counsel from the Founding Freedoms Law Center, Josh Hetzler, to help us process some of this. Of course, the one that everyone is still talking about that we have witnessed in this generation is the overturning of Roe. I know we're going to have Victoria Cobb, our president, coming in soon to give us a deeper analysis based on her 25 plus years of experience with this issue. But Josh, I know you've been really deeply reviewing this case. And for now, can you help us get our heads around kind of the big rocks in this case or the 30,000 foot view of what's happening here? Sure. Yeah. I think the place to start is the line in the opinion where the court says what it held. And I'm just going to read it for you. It says, the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey are overruled and the authority to regulate abortion is returned to the people and their elected representatives. And that's just very direct. And the court, the court just tells us exactly what's, what's going on. Um, so again, no right to abortion in the Constitution, Roe and Casey overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion goes back to the states. Now, when you say no right to abortion in the Constitution, I have been hearing, you know, that this whole assertion you hear that there's a right to privacy. Um, have they eliminated that whole argument with this decision? Under the Planned Parenthood v. Casey and Roe decisions, they found that the, the court said that there was a right to abortion and it was found within the right to privacy. So here the court doesn't say there's no right to privacy, but they say you can't reason from privacy to killing your unborn child through abortion. They said that's just not there. It's nowhere in the Constitution. All right. And I know the other thing that you were explaining was just the history of this. Tell us a little bit your thinking there. Yeah. One of the big arguments that the court grappled with and, and was kind of the basis of their opinion was that fundamental rights historically are found in, in what they call the history and tradition of the United States. So that's usually how they determine whether a right is fundamental. And they looked back at the history and they said, well, when the 14th Amendment was passed in 1868, almost all the states had uh, laws against abortion that made it a crime. And then they looked at 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed and they said, most of the states had laws prohibiting abortion. So there's nothing in the history and tradition of the United States that would suggest that abortion is a right, let alone a fundamental right. So we're looking at both the Constitution and our country's historical rights as some of the reasoning in this decision. But also a big part of this was, you know, we, you kept hearing from pro-abortion, the pro-abortion side of things that, well, you can't overturn precedent. Tell us how they responded to that. Yeah, that was really their main argument in this case was you need to uphold Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey because of this concept of stare decisis, which is sort of let the precedent stand. 
generally speaking, the courts will look back at their old opinions and they'll make decisions consistent with those. But the court said, well, that's generally true, but not always, because sometimes we get it wrong, like they did in Plessy versus Ferguson, which was a case about race and slavery, and also Brown versus Board of Education, which was about separate but equal. And so sometimes they get it wrong, they acknowledge that, and the court said, we got it wrong here too, and Roe and Casey were absolutely wrong, and they had nothing to do w- with the Constitution. So this is a big deal. This is a major a historical moment from a civil rights point of view, I think equal or more to the overturning of Plessy and the other decision you mentioned. So we're in a huge moment right now. So what does this look like for Virginians moving forward? Because I think one thing that's important for everyone to understand is that this Dobbs decision does not ban abortion nationwide. What it does is return the decision-making power to the state. So, Josh, what lies ahead for Virginia at this moment? The Virginia's elections at the state level are going to become more important and more contentious than ever before. And they have been important. Um, and, and so now we're going we're gonna to see uh, through our legislature just what they want to do. In 2020, many of the pro-life laws were overturned in Virginia. So now we're, we're going to be working hard to try to reinstate those pro-life laws, just, just as many states across the country have already done. And we saw the governor signaling his willingness to uh, help encourage or push for a law similar to what the Supreme Court just upheld, the Mississippi law. So we'll see where that goes. But this is going to depend on a lot of your voices, the people listening today, what happens in Virginia and whether we will ultimately choose to protect life and protect babies in the womb. Um, So just to give people listening some equipping tools on how to talk to their neighbors and their fellow church members on this issue. We have some great Q&A conversation tips as well as a video to help summarize a lot of what you've been hearing today and, and how to talk about the need to defend life specifically in Virginia. And you can find those resources at familyfoundation.org slash speakupvirginia. That's familyfoundation.org slash speakupvirginia. I also want to give you a chance to comment on another case that was really good news for parents And this one kind of went under the radar with all the media coverage coming out with the other cases and Dobbs and everything. But it was actually a pretty big deal for parents and religious freedom. Tell us about that. Sure. Yeah, the case was Carson v. Macon. And this was about a a law in Maine that allowed parents to to receive state funding for private school tuition for their children. Because in some areas of rural Maine, they don't have public schools. And what the state of Maine said is that you can you can use this for any private school except if the school is religious or overtly religious they kind of had like yeah yeah so i i, I guess if if they're if they actually teach uh, the you know biblical uh, viewpoint a religious faith yeah so a some christian parents brought the case and the court ended up saying you, the state cannot discriminate uh based on someone's religious status so if other people are eligible for, for a common benefit from government, then you can't be excluded simply because you're religious in character. And so that's, that's just a really good ruling, not only for schools and parental choice in this case, but really for every person of faith and every religious institution. Yeah, I thought Chief Justice Roberts summarized this pretty succinctly in his majority opinion, saying that when, quote, The state pays tuition for certain students at private schools so long as the schools are not religious. That is discrimination against religion. So, Josh, just real quick, how does this ultimately help 
parents being able to choose a school that reflects their values, having options for Christian schooling, and how might it ultimately help parents in Virginia? Well, you know, most private schools are actually religious schools. So it, it's really going to make a, a, a great practical impact on, on what parents are going to be able to choose. And now that the Supreme Court has made this so clear, uh, it, it's gonna, it takes away any confusion or arguments uh, to the contrary that, that would prevent certain programs like uh, a voucher program or an education savings account program, some of the things that we're working on. So hopefully it will help us expand those options for parents in Virginia. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. Well, speaking of expanding school choice in Virginia, we've got even more good news for parents coming out at the state level. And to help us talk about that, we've brought in our Director of Government Relations and Policy, Dr. Todd Gacky. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Hello, Candy. Good to be with you. All right. Please tell us about this big win for parents that we just had in the state budget. Yeah. So the General Assembly had proposed a budget. And in that budget, it cut over half of the current funding for the scholarship tax credit program. It's, it's actually referred to as the Education Improvement Scholarship Tax Credit Program. It's, it's an opportunity scholarship program for financially struggling kids yes. that allows their families to choose a private school that might better meet their needs. That's right. right. A, critical, a critically important um, program for Virginia. Well, the governor issued an amendment to restore the full funding to that program. And the, that amendment was actually approved by both the House and the Senate. So thankfully, the full funding has been restored to that program to give so many families the, an opportunity to find education that meets their child's needs. Now, I think you were telling me this did look like a hard fight at the beginning. It came down to one or two votes in the Senate, right? That's correct. Yeah, we work with a coalition of organizations. So it wasn't just the Family Foundation, but a lot of good people put a lot of hard work into reaching out to scholarship foundations, private schools, families, and encouraging them to reach out to their legislators to ask them to support this, this important amendment. I mean, we got lots of great testimonies from little kids and their photos that helped with this. Um, I don't know why some of these left-leaning politicians thought it was a good political calculation when you've got families struggling with things like inflation and rising gas prices to try to cut a program for financially struggling kids. But I'm glad we won this one because that means we're going to have a stronger foundation moving forward for not only expanding the existing scholarship program, but helping to get more school choice options for parents later on. So I think that was significant. Um, but the other thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, what it wasn't all wins, unfortunately, with this budget. We had some pretty big disappointments on the pro-life uh, front. Explain to us what happened with that. Yeah, so um, the governor handed down an amendment to uh, essentially bring Virginia into line with the majority of other states and significantly limiting how tax uh, taxpayers, we're talking about Virginia taxpayers, um, are, how their money is used with regards to abortion. And essentially it's referred to as the Hyde Amendment. And at the federal level, um, they for many years have prohibited uh, public dollars from going to fund abortions. Well, the same, this amendment would have effectively done the same thing. It would have prevented taxpayers here in Virginia from having their Virginia tax dollars go to fund abortions in Virginia. And sadly, that did not get through. But I did think Delegate Nick Freitas during the debate over this made an excellent point of exposing how Planned Parenthood donates 
to a lot of these politicians making these decisions. Let's just listen to that. Now here's what I find interesting. Our colleagues on the other side of the aisle who are always lecturing us about compassion seem to think that the only way they could possibly pay for an abortion is through taxpayer funds. Well, here's an idea. What if Planned Parenthood, an organization which gives millions of dollars to that side of the aisle every campaign season, what if they just spent, oh, I don't know, maybe a fraction of it, less than 3% for what they've spent in Virginia during like the last election cycle, they could pay for all of those. But that's not good enough. So we go into this regular cycle where the same politicians that are getting the campaign funds from the abortion industry then come to this building in order to try to appropriate funds, right, take tax dollars by force from people and give it back to the organization that is then supplying their campaign coffers. Yeah, what, what could possibly be wrong with that concept? So let's at least try to be a little bit intellectually honest with respect to what the governor actually did with the Hyde Amendment and what it means. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So, Todd, ultimately, what does this failure to implement the state-level equivalent of the federal Hyde Amendment really mean for Virginians? Well, it's, it's uh, really pretty simple. I mean, it just means that Virginia, um, Virginia taxpayers will be forced to uh, be compelled to have their tax dollars be used to fund um, abortions um, of a preborn child if two physicians who work for the Department of Health think it is justified. Now, for years, we've worked to try and find out what those justifications are, but we were stopped because of, of um, pro-abortion governors who would not let us find out what that information um, is. Hopefully, things will change going forward. Yes, especially as we mentioned with the Dobbs decision being overturned and the governor signaling his willingness to help get Virginia more in line with the state Mississippi law that that was based on. Um, I hope we will have more traction with this. Well, moving into another area that kind of had mixed results, some wins and losses, tell us about the governor's efforts to win some tax relief for families. Yeah, so, you know, there's some good things uh, for families, uh, for the kitchen table conversations around taxes and finances. Uh, The grocery tax, uh, there was some relief there with the repeal of that. Um, They've nearly doubled the standard deduction, not quite, but they've raised the standard deductions for families. Um, So there were efforts to really try and put in place some tax uh, policies that reduce the burden and the financial burden on families in Virginia. So how do you think that's really going to hit home for families? How much is that actually going to help them financially speaking? Well, you know, some suggest it could be in the range of anywhere from, you know, two to three or four thousand dollars. I think at the end of the day, though, families are struggling right now uh, with inflation, with gas prices, with uh, prices in the grocery stores, um, trying to buy and purchase items. So I think every little bit counts. And I think the fact that they at least put these provisions in the budget speaks to the fact that they're trying to help as many Virginia families as possible. All right. So we got at least some relief through our grocery tax and a pretty significant increase in standard deductions. One thing that was so frustrating, though, was the failure to at least temporarily suspend the state tax on gas because that's adding to the federal tax, which I find really ironic since even President Biden has been bending to pressure on this and proposing some kind of tax relief with gas at the federal level. So what's going on here with our state representatives? That's a great question, Candy. I'm not sure why they couldn't agree on something here in the budget. Uh, So many families are going to the pump. They're seeing what these outrageous prices are, the gasoline that they're putting into the cars. Every little bit counts. Um, This should have been something that they could have found some type of agreement uh, agreement on in this budget. 
Do we need little a different kind of Biden instead of Biden did this? Do we need some kind of Virginia specific sticker to put on those gas pumps? I mean, maybe we need to increase the pressure here. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, we will come up with something. Well, I did think it was interesting listening to the debate on that because it became sort of obvious that there was a party line talking point. All the left-leaning legislators kept saying the same thing. I think, were they saying the governor doesn't get it? Was that kind of Yeah, thing? that's right. Yeah, it seemed like every every uh, legislator who didn't like his proposals uh, would just come back with, the governor just doesn't get it. Well, we've got a fun little montage of that. Let's just listen to that real quick. Because he just doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the process, and he doesn't get it. This governor doesn't understand what everyday Virginians are going through. He just doesn't get it. And we know the governor doesn't get it. Uh, Mr. Speaker, members of the body, we know the governor doesn't get it. So, Kenny, I find it ironic that with rising gas prices, inflation on the rise, costs at the grocery store, that they're making comments that the governor doesn't get it. I'm wondering who really doesn't get it. Yeah, again, let's let's just do a little sticker for the, the gas pumps. Uh, yeah, who yeah. doesn't get it? Yeah, do you get this? <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I just want to invite everyone to stay tuned as we continue to update you on what's happening here in Virginia, as well as monitoring the late-breaking Supreme Court decisions. And be sure to check out our website, familyfoundation.org, where we have the latest talking points and blogs on all of this stuff in a timely manner. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.